Well, good morning, and uh, I want to say a very happy Father's Day to each of the dads that are joining us. And from me personally today, I want to say a special happy Father's Day to my dad um, and, uh, and to Jeff and Greg, a couple of the significant dads in my life and my immediate family. Happy Father's Day. Loads, to, loads of love to each of you um, this day. As we prepare to come to God's Word, let's bow together and pray from our homes in, um, in anticipation and preparation for what God's going to have. Heavenly Father, we come to you with thankful hearts today. We've been singing praise and honor to you from our homes, and we now come to your Word. We open it up, and we desire to hear from you. Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts may it be found acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Holy Spirit, would you be poured out in our hearts to illuminate the truth of the word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I have a theory that I would like to share with you. I, I wonder if you will agree. I think, I believe that God has gotten a bad rap. In fact, that's exactly what I've titled today's message, God's Gotten a Bad Rap, from Psalm 19. We each have, each of us, this, this notion, this conception, this idea in our minds and in our hearts of what God is like. And it's developed for each one of us from a whole variety of different sources. Perhaps it's come from your parents or friends or a pastor along the way. Maybe it's from reading some books like the Bible or other books, or maybe it's getting deep down in the digital rabbit hole of YouTube videos or who knows what else. There, there's all kinds of ways that we have each developed a concept of what God is like in our heads. And it is possible that perhaps for some, this idea of what you think God is like has actually turned you off of God. You're like, if, if God is like that, what I grew up learning or hearing or what that person says, then I want nothing to do with that God. Maybe you love the idea of God because it's really this like synchronistic mishmash of all these different things that you've heard all around, put together, and, and you love this idea of what God is in your head. But I guess the question to that would be, is your idea of God in your head really accurate? Is that really what God is like or is that just a figment of all, your own imagination? Or maybe you call yourself a Christian and you do this church thing, week in, week out, saying, yeah, I, I believe in God, but, but what do you really think God is like? And not just what do you say, but if you were to peel away the layers and look at what's really going on in your heart, if you were to look at the way you really live, what does it reveal about this idea of God that you have? I think for many of us, for most of us, if, if not for all of us, we have given God a bad rap. We have misunderstandings, misconceptions, and are just plain not accurate in who we think God is, what he is like, how we comprehend him in our minds. And today we are looking at 
Psalm 19, a beautiful psalm that gives us a pure, clear glimpse of God, of God as he really is, of God for who he really is. And it's my prayer today that as we look into God's word, what I want to do is first of all, push back against the bad rap that I think God has gotten and by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word to have our eyes and our hearts open to see, to get a glimpse of God for who he really is. The first thing I want us to see, the first major takeaway of our text is this. God has made himself known. Friends, you need to know, we don't just go and sit under a tree and dream up some conception of God or think about what God could be like. We don't have to walk in shadows of uncertainty. We aren't just standing in front of, you know, like seven different doors and they all look pretty similar. And it's like, well, which one am I going to choose of all of the options to try and understand what God is like? Is he option A, option B, option C? No, God has made himself known. Let's begin reading this psalm. It begins in verse 1 of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, making light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Oh, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than the honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. In these verses, we see God has made himself known. And in particular, he's done this in two ways. First, God has made himself known through majestic creation. Through the majestic creation. Verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Walk outside and look into the sky. Look at the blue of the sky. Look at the clouds as they roll by. Look at the sun. Feel the sun's warmth upon your skin. Go out on a clear night into the country, away from all the lights of town and the city, and look into the sky and see the stars that scatter across in every direction that you can imagine. Every single day you wake up and hear the birds singing. You breathe in air. You open little white balls of tissue to be able to see it all. Oh, 
The heavens, the creation, the majestic creation declares the glory of a creator. The glory of God. Verse 2. Day after day they pour forth speech. Meaning, he's like personifying here the creation. The creation, all of it is like shouting out constantly. This is not a coincidence. This complexity and beauty. Grab a microscope and zoom way down. Grab a telescope and zoom way out. Every direction that you could possibly go it's no accident. It's shouting out to you, this is no coincidence. It is the majestic creation of a majestic creator. There is no speech, verse 3 says, or language where their voice is not heard. It is plain and clear and evident to everyone. There's no one who can say, I didn't see the majesty of all that God had made. There's no one who can say, I have, no, I have an excuse for how I don't believe in God. Oh, look, everywhere, everywhere, everyone sees this. A few weeks ago, we were opening the pool at our house, and on the top of the cover as we were opening it was a puddle, and there was a whole bunch of tadpoles inside, and my kids were so excited by these tadpoles, so they go went and scooped a bunch of them up, and and created this little bucket, you know, aquarium for them to kind of try and raise some tadpoles. And my wife was trying to explain to our little four-year-old son, hey buddy, do you know what these tadpoles turn into? They turn into frogs. And he was so confused by this. He was trying to, and my wife starts to try and explain to him, yeah, well, these like little oozy, you know, balls, like they, they bite off their own tails, they grow a head, they grow little arms, they grow little legs, they grow quite big, and then they ultimately become a frog. And, and my son, this four-year-old son, like his mind is just like blown. His eyes are as wide as saucers. And he's like, what? These little slimy things become frogs? And it's crazy, isn't it? It is mind-blowing when you think about that. And that's just a frog. Look at your fingerprints. Look at a person next time you go into the grocery store as you walk by them. The, the heavens declare the glory of God, and you cannot miss this. God has made himself known in his majestic creation. And then verse 7 shifts to a second way that God has made himself known. God has made himself known through written revelation. So majestic creation and Written revelation. Verse 7 to 9 starts talking about the written revelation of God. Verse 7 talks about the law of the Lord and the statutes of the Lord. Verse 8 talks about the precepts of the Lord and the commands of the Lord. Verse 9 talks about the fear of the Lord and the ordinances of God. Six different words, six different adjectives to all talk about what? About this book. This book that God has made, this book that you and I hold in our hands and have copies of, the majestic creation gives a glimpse of God's existence in general, but then God's word gives a specific understanding of who God really is. So there is not just a creator of some kind 
We know exactly who he is. We get to understand him, come to know him face to face. This book, the Bible, it is a self-portrait painted by the hands of God to show us his contours and character. This book is an invitation beckoning us to come and meet with God face to face. This book is a journal sharing the very heart of God and the acts of God for us to get to know his character, to hear about him. This book is the personal revelation of God. When we come to the word, we meet God. We don't need to wonder what God is like. We don't need to stay in the generalities of a creator. We get personal specifics. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth and lived amongst us, laid down his life as a living sacrifice for us to forgive us of our sins. We are introduced to him personally. We come to understand the hope that is given to us through the pages of this book that God wrote to lead us to deliverance through faith in Jesus Christ. God is magnificently multifaceted and we could spend so much time talking from so many different angles and we could really spend all of eternity reflecting on the many different characteristics and understanding of who God is and all that he has written about himself in his word and given to us. But here today, for the remainder of our time, I want to focus in on one of those characteristics that I think is at the heart of why God has gotten a bad rap. And it is at the heart of this particular text that we look at in Psalm 19. It is this. God is good. God is good. We see here that God is good, friends. He is wonderfully, beautifully, powerfully, profoundly, breathtakingly good. Do you know that God is good? Do you know that? Some of us have hurts that have led us to question or to blame God and say, all these wounds, there's no way God is good. Some of us have had people say or do things in the supposed name of God. And we're like, if that person and what they did is a representative of God, there's no way God is good. Some of us have gone through some deep storms calling out to God for help and we feel like he didn't answer. And we're like, where were you, God? Why didn't you respond? There's no way God is good. Some of us have fears and control issues and we're like i cannot let go i just can't believe to release and the clenching of my fists to let it go i can't believe that god is good but god is good friends god is good the good God has revealed himself 
in the Bible and he is good and he abounds in goodness and everything he does oozes with goodness and he is the very definition of goodness. The creation of God. Oh, it shows so beautifully the goodness of God. After each thing was made, you go back to Genesis chapter 1, God had this refrain at the end of each day. He said, it is good. And we know sin has broken and marred the beauty and perfection of God's creation. But, but just as if you were to go and visit the Sistine Chapel and you see the deterioration of time of wear and tear upon it, but through the midst of the deterioration, you can still see the goodness and glory of it still beams and shines through. So too in creation, although we see the taint and poison of sin and brokenness in our world, the goodness of God still shines through in so many ways and the smells that we smell and the feelings that we feel and the, the, the sights that we see and the taste that we have. Oh, God is good. Look around and see. The world is marred by brokenness, but the glory of God still reverberates throughout creation. Or consider the written revelation of God. Listen again to some of the ways God's Word is described. God's Word is described as perfect, reviving the soul, and trustworthy, making wise the simple, in verse 7. It is right, giving joy to the heart, and radiant, giving light to the eyes, it says in verse 8. It is pure, enduring forever. It is sure and altogether righteous, it says in verse 9. The word of God that leads us to learn about who God is and see who he is, they are more precious than gold and much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, the honey from the comb. By them is your servant worn. In keeping them there is great reward. The word of God is good, dear brothers and sisters. God is good. It reveals to us the good God of the universe and it leads us to the ultimate pinnacle because this whole book points us to the ultimate display of God's goodness in Jesus Christ who came and laid down his life for you and I. Oh, God is good. So good. So, so good. And we know this because of his word. Because of who he has shown us that he is in his word. And I say that God has gotten a bad rap because I don't think most of us believe this. I don't think most of us really have been struck by the depth of what this means to say God is good. See, when we envision God and when we consider the book that he wrote, here's some of the things I think we actually believe. We think of God as some kind of like cosmic killjoy or grumpy Scrooge in heaven. We think of God as an ancient archaic prude. 
We think of God as perpetually disappointed with us. We think of God as a short fuse, ready to just lose it on us at any point and say, all right, that's it, I'm done with you. We think of God as being distant and uncaring about our pain and our anguish and our challenges. We think of God as weak and unable to help us in the midst of what we're going through. But God is good, friends. God is so good. But we struggle to believe this. We struggle to believe this. Now, maybe you're like, well, what do you mean I struggle to believe this? I mean, of course, there, there are some who are watching this and you're like, outright, yeah, I don't believe God is good. You're proving my point. You're saying all the stuff that I would already say. But then there's others of us, maybe many joining us today, who would be like, no, no, no. Like, what do you mean all that? I, I believe God's good. I'm here watching church today from my home. I believe God's good. I agree with God. Okay, well, let, let me maybe peel away a little bit here. Let, let's, let's look under the surface of our lives here for a moment. Let, let's consider, okay, we might say we believe God is good, but, but what does the way we live and the way we think and see the world, what does it actually reveal about what we think about God, what he's really like? Let me give you two examples that come to my mind. I could give you many, but, but here's two biggies for us to kind of consider and take as a self-reflection to say, okay, what do I really think about God? First one, let, let's take this whole sexual identity ethic of our day. Let's talk about the, the sexuality and ethic identity of our day. The Bible undeniably and definitively speaks about our sexuality. It defines marriage. It tells us how we are to approach sexual intimacy. And it leads us to understand our individual identities as made in the image of God as human beings. And in all of those ways, the, the chorus of our day... The message of, of our day pushes directly back against and in contradiction to what the Bible teaches on each of these matters. So here's the question to ask in view of this. Is God good? Is the Bible good? Is what we hear good or is what is in here good? And I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine that we could take like this whole topic of, of the sexual discussion of the ethic of our day, the identity discussion of the, of the ethic of our day. And I want you to imagine we could kind of like almost, you know, take it as an object and like set it on the table here to like look at and consider. Okay. And, and we could actually just step back for a moment out of the, the personal visceral debates and, and just look at it from a number of different angles and just like consider this. Talk about, think about what is just being rhymed off everywhere around us. See, when we do that, what the chorus of our day is basically saying is, I know best. 
That's really, in a nutshell, what, what the, the message of our day is saying. I know best. I know myself best. I know my body best. I know my desires best. I know best, and therefore, I should be the one to decide and define in these matters. Right? That, that's the course of our day. Or if you were to kind of like come at another angle and think about that in the exact same way, what we're saying is the God who wrote this book doesn't know best. He doesn't know my body best. He doesn't know my desires best. He doesn't know what is best for me, i.e., which is another way of just saying he is not good. He's not good. He is out to get me, not help me. He is out to stifle me, not free me. He is out to ruin my life, not fulfill my life. But friends, I want to tell you today, God is good. God is good. Everything he does is good. All that he is written is good, and it is for our good. Have you, have you ever tried to build a piece of Ikea furniture? You ever tried this? You ever tried to get a piece of Ikea furniture in? And what happens if you've ever done this, I know many of us have, you, you get this box, you rip open the box, and now on your floor you have a pile of all kinds of assorted different pieces of wood and a whole bunch of those little screws and doohickeys for those screws. And what you do next to figure out how to build it, what do you do? Well, you look through your box and you need to find the manual, right? You find the manual and you flip it open to the first page, step one. You go to the manual because it is designed what is in front of you here. You go to the manual because the manual is written by the designer, the one who knows how your you know, cabinet or desk or bed or whatever it is, is supposed to look at the end. And you've got this whole assortment of things in front of you and you need direction. So you go to the designer to read the manual they wrote so that you can understand how this is to work. Okay, well, what about when you get to that first page and you get your first piece of wood and your first screw and you put it in and then you look at that and you're like, I have no idea what this is for. I don't see how this fits. I don't know what part of the, the construction this is going to be. I don't understand. And you start having some questions. I don't know if you've ever had these questions like, what on earth is this going to do? How does this fit in? Where does this go? What do you do at that moment when those questions start coming in? What do you do at that moment when you're like, I don't really see it. I don't really understand. This doesn't really make sense. What do you do? Well, some of you who are, if you're there with some guys, you've got that proverbial elbow is starting to get poked out because some of you just throw away the manual. But that, remember, this is Father's Day. We're going to be kind to the dads. That's not what you do. What you do is you go on to step two. And then you go on to step three. And you follow along in the steps. And if you do that, you will end up 
at the end, even though on page one, step one, you might have had no idea how this all works and it doesn't really seem to make sense and it seems very confusing. You follow the steps through and then at the end of it, you have your beautiful, modern, sleek piece of Swedish furniture for your home, right? Because the designer who wrote the manual knows how this works. We trust the designer who's given us the manual. When we say in our day, we know what is best. Well, I know what is best for me. I know what is best for my body. I know what is best for my life. I know what is best for how I should live and how I should fill in the blank. What we're actually saying is I don't believe God is good because it doesn't make sense to me. I don't see the whole picture. I'm on, yeah, step one, page one, but I don't see how this all fits. So it must be wrong. And so therefore what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out the whole manual. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What if, what if God is good? And what if the designer knows more than you and I? Why would we conclude that we know better than the designer? I think, I think in our day and age right now, we need a giant dose of humility, friends. Let me speak first of all to some of the Christians who are watching right now who have this propensity to start wagging your finger and looking down at all the people who seem to be messing up in these particular areas. Whoa, 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 brother or sister, slow down for a moment and let me ask you this question. Do you not wrestle with the kind of questions that are at the root of this too? I mean, of course we all do. Who of us does not wrestle with questions of who am I? Who of us does not wrestle with questions of, I, I want to be happy and feel loved. How am I going to find that? Where is the path to joy and the good life? Who am I and how do I understand my identity? We all wrestle with that. We need a whole lot more empathy and humility to recognize that we all have those same root challenges that we're trying to work ourselves out through. But then let me say to all of us, Christian and non-Christian alike, every single one of us, no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, I think we all need a giant dose of humility that pushes back against the frankly audacious and ridiculous notion that says, you and I know best. It's absurd to think that. Who in this, this room, like from our different rooms around, who amongst us has ever found ourselves in a spot where you, you're like, man, I don't know why I just reacted that way towards my kids. Man, I don't know why I just snapped it that way towards my wife. Man, I don't know where that thought just came from. Man, I don't understand this feeling that's going on inside. I got so worked up. I got so afraid. I got so anxious. I started having my heart racing. I didn't really know. Who has had those? As all of us have had those feelings. 
All of us wrestle and struggle to understand what's going on inside of us and the thoughts and the feelings and the actions and the words that we speak. All of us have had that. Why on earth would we ever sit here and say, oh, I've got it all figured out. I know exactly what is best for me. I know exactly how I work. I know exactly everything. None of us have this figured out. How arrogant it is of us to sit here and think, we know better than the designer. How crazy is it of us to sit here on page one, step one, and be like, because I don't really understand and I don't really see and I don't really like how this first step is going, that must mean we throw it all out and I know what's best. We need to turn to our good designer, friends. We need to turn to our good designer and say, you made me, you know me, what do I do next? We need to hear what God's word says, that, that he is good, he is, his ways are perfect and trustworthy and right and radiant and pure and sure and righteous and precious and sweet. Oh God, you are good. And I need to trust and listen to you. Let me ask you today, friends, do you trust the goodness of God in these areas? Are you seeking to listen to his voice and follow, even if at times it seems like it doesn't make sense? Are you willing to lay yourself down and say, I will follow the good God or are you trusting yourself to decide and define? Let me give you one more example. Let's talk about something a little less controversial, okay? Second example, your money. <laughs> Let's talk about your money. Let's talk about my money, okay? And uh, some of you are immediately thinking, oh great, here we go. He wants to take our money. No, I, I wanna talk about your money and my money, but not because I'm trying to get your money. I'm not trying to get your money. I want to talk about our money because money is a way that we see the goodness of God. And it's a way that we are called to live the good life, what we do with our money. In the Old Testament, there was this principle. It was called tithing. The, the basic essence of it is that the first 10% of everything that you receive you tithe, you give to God. The, the first, so before anything else gets paid, before any other bills go out, before any other indulgences of ourselves is taken, the first and the 10%. So God has given us everything, and so we're going to give back a portion, 10% to that, to God as an offering. The New Testament doesn't specifically teach, carry on the the exact implementation of a 10% tithe. What the New Testament teaches is this principle of a frankly radical generosity. I, I would suggest that the New Testament is actually like, you know, 10% maybe is the starting point and it just goes up from there. It's a call to radical, joyful generosity. I think of the story of Jesus in the temple where he was sitting there and he was watching different people come and give their offerings and then there was this one um, old widow who came and gave two tiny little coins. And then in the gospel of Mark, it says this, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, 
Come here, come here, come here, guys. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything and all she had to live on. That this woman gave relatively little in terms of numerical value, currency value, but she gave radically in terms of proportion to what she had, joyful, radical generosity as an act of worship and faith. And Jesus, he commends her for that and uses that as a lesson for us to understand how we are to approach our money and giving. Here's an insight that we learn, friends. Giving is a chance to acknowledge and trust the goodness of God. Giving is a chance to acknowledge and to trust the goodness of God. When we give, we acknowledge the goodness of God because we are saying, thank you, God. I'm giving because you've first given to me. I can give because you've given me everything. And so we are acknowledging the goodness of God from what he's given to us. But then secondly, giving is a chance for us to trust in the goodness of God. I, I remember when Natalie and I were first married, just very early on, hearing a particular pastor say as he talked about when he and his wife were young and just getting going in their new family and wrestling with whether they'd be able to tithe, whether they could afford to tithe or not. And what he said has always stuck with me and shaped the way Natalie and I have sought to live out our family and finances. Here's what he said. He said, I would rather have 90% of what we made and God on our side than 100% trying to do it all by ourselves. Wow, eh? Giving takes faith. There is no doubt about it. We all know how expensive life is. We all get that. But giving allows us the chance to say, God, I trust you. God, I want you on my side. I'm giving this away and I'm trusting that you will still look after my family with what I've got left. Giving is also a way of saying, I am going to live off of less and trust that you will be enough for me. I I don't need this thing, this thing, and this thing that I could buy with the rest of my money. I actually can live off of less and enjoy you because enjoying and trusting you is actually the good life. Giving says, I believe God is good and will provide for my family. I believe even though I have less with him on my side, I actually have more. Now here at our church, It's important for you to know that that your giving is entirely confidential. I I have no idea what any individual in our church gives, but, but I ran a couple general reports for our church that I want to share with you. So if we look back over this last ministry year, going back to the beginning of September, ran a report to see how much has been given. And in that time, from September to now, 
we have had 217 different donors give to God through our church. 217. Now, if, if you would allow me to estimate a little bit, you, you, you surely can be aware that those 217 names, some of those are going to be some couples, right? And so one name represents a couple individuals. And if you were to estimate about how many people, adults in total, call our church Bethel home, my guess is it's probably close to about 500. Now, not all of those are ever here at any given time. And we think of Bethel Strathroy and Bethel Southwest, and then those of you who are joining at home. But if you were to add up all of those individuals, there's probably about 500 individuals, which, which means I suspect probably in this last year, about maybe 55% of those people who call Bethel home gave financially to God through their church. 55%. Now of that 55%, if you go over to StatsCan and look at what is the average household income for our town of Strathroy, average household income, of those 55% who gave to the church they call home, the average giving compared to their household income is they gave about 3.6% of their income. 3.6% of their income. Now, this is, of course, averages and some generalities, okay? But within this, to summarize, what that means is about a little over half of the individuals who call our church home gave even some amount towards their church this year, and of those who gave, a little over 3% of their total income they gave to God through their church. Now, I want to be clear again, because some of you are starting to think, oh, he's trying to ask for more money. I'm not fundraising right now. I am not asking for you to give towards something right now. My heart is to help you and I and all of us experience the goodness of God. See, giving is a privilege that allows us to experience the goodness of God, brothers and sisters. Giving, us, giving allows us to see God provide for our families in incredible ways when we give to the Lord. Giving allows us to see God and we trust him to say, God, you are enough when I have less. And what those broad general reports tell me is that there is an incredible amount of room for us as a collective family to grow and experience in the goodness of God in this way. We, we may say we trust in the goodness of God, but yet we're missing out on seeing the goodness of God be poured out in this very specific and poignant way of our lives and our family. So let me ask you, are you trusting God and his goodness in this area with your finances? Do you need to step out in faith to trust God that he is good for you and your family in this area. The final verse in this passage is a prayer. And it's a challenge for us. Because this isn't about any of this. It's not about legalism. 
It's not about self-righteousness. It's not about sitting in an ivory tower and looking down our noses at anybody else. This is about how good God is and what's really going on in our hearts. Peeling away the surface and what is really happening of us understanding God. Deep down inside, it cries out, search me and help me to have a heart that truly sees your goodness. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.
Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us today and for inviting us into your home and for this time of worship and studying from God's Word. Really pray that the sweet, wonderful goodness of God has encouraged you today, that you would run to Him and to know that sweet, wonderful goodness that is found through Jesus Christ. And if you're holding back in any way that, oh, you can trust Him, And you can meet him as you open up his word and call out to him. He hears, he is alive, and he will respond. If there's any way that in that we can come alongside you today, answer questions, listen, pray, whatever it might be, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out by texting the number that's right there on the screen. One of our leaders will be sure to follow up with you in the next couple days this very week and uh, to just support you any way we can. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you in this week ahead as you treasure God's goodness. And we look forward to seeing you here again with us next week at Bethel.